Bible series called Cradle, Cross, Crown. And as we journey through from now to the end of the year, we're going to be focusing on these last weeks of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. And it's going to be kind of a, a really special and unique study for us, especially as we journey into a season where we talk so much about Christ's birth, and we are going to be talking about His birth and the wonder of the gift of Christmas, which is Christ. But we're also going to be looking at that in relation to the true fulfillment of His coming, which was that He might lay down His life, that He might give His own life, His own blood, that He might be put to death so that you and me can be forgiven eternally with the one true holy God. Amen? We're going to be looking at Him going to the cross and going to the grave, enduring unbelievable suffering, unbelievable service for us, that we might be forgiven and cleansed from our sin, and that we might have an opportunity today, when we put our trust in Him, to have a relationship with God. That is the gift of Christmas. And if Jesus hadn't done all that God had appointed for Him to do, including go to the cross, Christmas would not have the meaning that it has today. Amen? That's what we're going to be looking at. And this morning, this morning my goal is this, that you might get a fresh sense of the wonderful love of Jesus for you. That you might be able to see and also receive the wonderful love of Jesus for you in His willing service, in His willing submission, and in His willing sacrifice so that you might experience the grace and forgiveness of God. Anybody ever been in the hospital? Okay, some of you really excited, raise your hands, and that's kind of scary. Um, I've been in the hospital once, and I did not enjoy it, so I don't know why you got so excited to raise your hand. Free food, free care, um, I don't know. Waiting on your hand and foot. I, I was in the hospital this week, one of our church members was in the hospital, and I went to the hospital this week, and I was just reminded of the the last time that I was in the hospital for a few days, coming back from a trip from Africa. And uh, I do not like being in the hospital. I just don't. And I think, um, I think one of the reasons that I really don't like being in the hospital, I started thinking about this this week, is that I don't like the feeling of helplessness. I really don't like being in a position where I can't help myself, where there's nothing that I can do to fix it. And you, you have to be dependent on nurses, and you have to be dependent on doctors, and you've got this swarm of activity coming into your room, and everybody's serving you, and all you want to do is just get up and go, or go, <laughs> go serve somebody else, right? I don't like being in a position where I'm needy, where I'm dependent on somebody else for something. Are y'all, y'all ever experienced that? As one uh, contemporary author today puts it, it, it seems that in our culture... So many of us like to give charity, but very few of us actually like to be charity. We, we want to give charity, but we have a big, big problem in a position of charity. Very few of us actually want to be charity. But let me tell you something that I've learned in my life with the Lord and that Jesus teaches, the whole counsel of Scripture teaches, is that if you are going to experience the things of God, if you're going to experience His presence in your life and His power in your life for things greater than yourself, you have to learn to be in a receiving mode. You have to learn 
to be charity. You have to learn to call out for help. You have to learn to be okay in a position of helplessness. You have to learn to be okay receiving constantly from the hand of the Lord. And Jesus wants us to learn this because when we learn this principle of receiving, receiving the love of God, receiving the grace of God, receiving the faith of God, receiving the power of God, receiving the forgiveness of God, receiving the cleansing of God. And I'm not talking about a one-time thing. I'm talking about a moment-by-moment thing. When, I, when, I, when we speak of like living a life of dependency on the Lord, we're talking about this attitude of receiving. Does that make sense? I want us today to focus on all that Jesus gives and all that he calls us to receive freely by his grace. And we're going to do that this morning as uh, we look at the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is wonderful because he gives his life so that we might receive from his hand the grace and mercy, the forgiveness of God. As we did last week and as we will do throughout this series, I want to begin this morning by offering a perspective of someone who encountered Jesus during this last week. Last week together, uh, we looked at the perspective of one who was there in the temple the day that Jesus came in to cleanse the temple and to restore access to God for worship and for prayer and for calling out to his awesome name. And this week, as we begin our study of Luke chapter 22, I want us to, to take the perspective of John, the disciple. And so as I told you to do last week, I want you to, to get a position of active thinking and active imagination. And this is a scriptural account, but I want us to think about it through the perspective of John. So you are now John, the disciple. And I want you to consider Jesus as John encountered him here in the Gospel of Luke. You have been in Jerusalem for four days. Jerusalem was bustling and crowded as it always was during Passover. One of the three most important days of our Jewish calendar. All of the men were expected to come here to celebrate the Romans get nervous because possible uprising and the political overtones of the celebration of deliverance from the hand of the Egyptian oppressors. They feared the Messiah may come to, to overthrow their rule. Jesus has brought you and the other disciples here with great intentionality and purpose. He continued to tell you that he was here to fulfill the ministry that God had given him. And you have been seeing God do wonderful things, amazing things, miraculous things through Jesus, who you loved. Early each morning after sleeping on the Mount of Olivet, Jesus would lead you and the other disciples to the temple to teach the word of God to the people. You were all finding great joy seeing Jesus minister to those who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate God. You found great joy in seeing people meet him and bringing others to meet him. And Oh, he was your hope and your joy. The one promised to return you to God. The people were hanging on Jesus' words. They were finding hope and they were finding healing in Jesus who you had already found wonderful and satisfying to your soul. You had noticed throughout the week that the temple leaders and the religious leaders had begun to get angry. They were getting frustrated, increasingly frustrated with Jesus. 
They stood around and they talked about him as he ministered and taught. They tried to question him in front of people and trying to make him stumble over God's word. Trying to make him disobedient to one of their laws. But Jesus proved himself loving, humble, obedient, and authoritative every day. They failed and they were increasingly frustrated. And while Jesus was doing only good, it was evident that they didn't like his popularity and the threat to their influence and power. It came to be Thursday, the day of unleavened bread. The day when all of the Passover lambs would be sacrificed. You and Peter were, were talking about the day's activities and suddenly Jesus comes to you with a request. He asks you this, go, go and prepare. Prepare Passover that, that I might share a meal with you and all of the disciples. You're glad to obey the Lord and asked where you wanted it prepared. He said this, look, when you go into the city, you're going to see a guy carrying a jar of water, and he's going to meet you. I look, you look at Peter, pretty confident, guys don't carry water, it should be pretty easy to spot. And you look back at Jesus, amazed that he might know even future events and arrange things in life to be a certain way. Jesus continues, and you listen to him, follow him into the house that he enters, and and tell the master of that house, the teacher says to you, where is, where is the guest room that I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room that's furnished. And you should prepare it there. You listen attentively and continued all with the, the purpose and the passion that Jesus speaks and you leave immediately. You find everything. You leave, you go into the city, and you find everything just as Jesus has told you that it would be. Your spirit was filled with anticipation for sharing this meal together. Immediately, as you go into the temple in the bustling area there, you purchase a young lamb without blemish, a lamb that had been prescribed by the law for this very occasion. After picking up some of the other elements of the supper, you take the lamb to the temple to be killed. After its blood was poured out and sacrificed to God, you take it back to the house and you begin to roast it there, preparing for the meal that was to come. You work to furnish the table with cups of wine and with the herbs and the unleavened bread and the paste that is there. You finish preparations and you finally you send word out to Jesus that everything is ready, that the table is set, that the room is prepared and the time has come for the meal that he had asked for with you and the rest of the disciples. Your brothers begin to assemble for the meal. Everybody takes their place. And Jesus arrives and takes time to greet everyone with a traditional kiss. One by one, he looks each one in the eye and tells them that he loves them and that he's grateful for them. And he does the same when he gets to you. He invites the group to take places at the table and you're grateful to get seated right to the right hand of Jesus. You love Jesus so much. And on the other side of Jesus is Judas and around the table the rest of the disciples. 
Jesus calls your attention. He calls the room to attention as he begins to speak. And he shares of his love for us, his gratitude for us again. And he says that he's eager. He's eager to share this meal with us. You can tell something is stirring deep in Jesus. Something in his heart, not just his words. He's almost emotional as he speaks with passion and with tenderness and with purpose. You discern that something is different for him tonight. We were all glad to have this time together too. I mean, amidst ministry among the crowds, it was good to have time just to be, just to sit alone with Jesus and to remember his personal care for us. I mean, we were so thankful that Jesus is the Savior to all and available to all, but it's good to remember that he knows you and cares about you personally. It's good to have time just to look him in the eye and for him to remind you of his love. He sat down and signaled that the time for the meal had come, that it was time for it to begin. And the Passover feast, as always, every year, it begins with a prayer of thanksgiving to God for his faithfulness and for his provision. Jesus leads us in prayer, and we pray with genuine gratitude for God's overwhelming blessing, for Jehovah's great goodness, and for his, his provision for his people. Always. The prayer of blessing was accompanied by the drinking of the first of four cups of wine. Jesus says to us, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. You, you wonder why Jesus is not drinking the Passover drink with you tonight, but he's serving. He's not taking it for himself. He said he was looking forward to a coming day of God's kingdom when he'd be able to drink it again, but you decide not to question the Lord, but to gladly receive from his hand the wine that he served, a remembrance of God's blessing and a covenant to his people. Usually after the first cup of wine, you would wash your hands, you would get yourself ready, you would cleanse yourself off and prepare. It's an outward sign of preparation for the meal, but an inward sign of preparation for God's presence. After everyone was served and partook of the wine, you begin to look around for the servants who would come to help you wash. But Jesus stands up right beside you. He takes off his outer robe, leaving only his inner towel wrapped around his waist, and he begins to prepare a basin of water, and he begins to look for a towel. We all watch to understand what he's doing. I mean, perhaps he's going to wash himself first, and then we follow. But to your surprise, he, he turns and comes toward the table. Without first washing himself, he comes toward the table with the basin and with the towel. You think, surely not. He's not coming to serve us. This is the role of a service. It's not the role of my master and my Lord. You watch as Jesus approaches Peter first. And he kneels down before Peter and asks that he might remove his sandals so that he may wash his feet, that he may cleanse his body, and that he may prepare him for the meal. Peter said aloud what you and probably all the others were thinking, no way, I can't allow you to, to wash and serve me. You're my Lord, let me serve you. Jesus responded gently, looking Peter in the eye, and then around the room, including to you. 
unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. Peter's response, of course, then, then Lord, not just my, head, my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus did proceed to wash Peter's feet. And then he made his way around the table to each one of us. As he washed Peter's feet and the others, he went on to say this. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them all call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules should be the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I, I am the one among you who serves. Jesus eventually gets to you. You're humbled and a, a bit overwhelmed as Jesus stoops before you to untie the sandals from your calloused and dirty feet. He picks up the towel and he begins to scrub and wash with strength and yet with tenderness. This seems so out of place. I mean, how can your master, the savior of the world, the perfect son of God, stoop to serve you, who you believe to be most important and least deserving? Yet he insisted, and if you were going to be a part of his fellowship in this meal, he would be the one to serve. You're moved to worship. Your heart could not be more full of gratitude. Tears begin to form in your eyes. You have never, never experienced love like this. Love that serves. Love that sacrifices for you. Every time that you think that you could be more amazed at Jesus, you are. Truly, this is your Savior, God in flesh. Jesus finishes his washing and returns to his place. And next, he begins the traditional meal. He begins with the passing of the unleavened bread and the dipping into the herbs. And to sing Psalm 113 and 14. You watch as Jesus takes the unleavened bread and sandwiches between it some bitter herbs. And he dips it in salt water and he eats it. And he gives it to everyone who was there at the feast. The unleavened bread, always, you knew this from the time you were a boy, the unleavened bread is meant to remind everyone of the haste in which you were to leave Egypt. Sandwiched between this is a symbol of liberation of the bitter herbs, representing the trials endured in that time of bondage. As others are taking, you notice Jesus immediately begins to look troubled. <coughs> he begins to look anxious in his spirit, and he says, Very truly, I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. What? One of us would betray you? Who? How would this be? You stare around the room at the others who are there, and no one understands what Jesus means by this. No one can believe that this would even be possible. Peter glances over and gets your attention because you're sitting right beside Jesus, and he's nudging you. You can tell by his look. Ask him, who is this? Who would do this? And so you lean on Jesus and you ask, Lord, who, who is it? 
Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then you watch as Jesus takes it and he dips it in the bread and he hands it to Judas, the son of Iscariot, sitting on his other side. You look at the exchange intently. How could this be for him? He's been with us the whole time. And you watch in awe suddenly as Judas's demeanor changes. In an instant, it changes. Something enters his heart and his mind is no longer in the room, but it's outside of the room. And he stands up immediately. And he makes his way out. And Jesus says to him quietly as he stands, What you're going to do, do quickly. He leaves immediately. He does not say goodbye. He does not give reason. What is he thinking? Why is he leaving? We're all confused. And we begin to talk among ourselves. What is going on here? Jesus, with continued purpose and steadiness, calls everyone back together. And continues the meal before them. The second cup of wine is poured. The instructions are given. The time of the meal has come. The pinnacle of the meal to take and to eat of the Passover lamb that has been sacrificed and roasted to be consumed by us. God's provision for deliverance. The lamb is distributed and the lamb is eaten. You partake of it yourself. And after everyone is eating, the next cup of wine is to be served. No more food would be taken. That's the way it would always happen. But You're surprised because Jesus takes the bread again, the bread that was used to dip with the herbs. He picks it back up. Why is Jesus taking the bread, you think? Why is he picking it back up? We're not to eat again, but you watch as he takes the bread and he holds it up and he gives thanks to God for it. And he takes a piece of it and he breaks it off and he takes another piece and he breaks it off. He passes one to you and he passes one to the other. And it begins, all of the disciples share in the bread that he's taking. And he says this, this is my body, broken for you. You think to yourself, his body, his body broke, this bread is his body, what what is he talking about? You've never seen a Passover meal like this, where the bread is distributed after the lamb, and these things were being said? What would this mean? But in trust and admiration of Jesus, you take what he gives. You receive it and you eat it. After everyone had taken the bread, he then took the cup and he blessed it. Gave thanks to God for it and then began to distribute it around. Till everyone had it and he said, this is my blood spilled for you. And instructed us to take it. You wonder, his blood... His blood spilled, this is his blood, and I, what does this mean? But again, you take and you trust and admire your Lord, and you take it, and you do what he has asked. After drinking the wine and partaking of the bread, Jesus leads the meal to its conclusion. The fourth and final cup is taken. The cup of blessing, the cup of thanks. Psalm 113, 14, 115, 116, 117, and 118 are all sung together. You love Jesus and you know he loves you. This night has been a special night. 
unlike any others, and you're very aware in this moment of His absolute extreme love for you. You're overwhelmed by Him and what He has given. What a wonderful Savior, and what a wonderful Lord. Amen? Amen. I prepared a lot this morning, but um, I'm not going to go through all that I've prepared. Because what I want for you this morning to understand more than anything else is what John understood that night. Our faith is not about theology, although it's anchored in theology. Our faith is about a personal relationship with a God who loves you. A God who sent a Savior for you. Listen here. God could have chosen to send Jesus to die at any time that he chose. Jesus could have marched into Jerusalem at any time that he wanted. We know from the apostles, that God had appointed a day and a time for His Son to lay down His life for your sins and for mine. Do you think it's coincidence that Jesus enters Jerusalem during Passover week? No, it's not coincidence. Do you think that it's coincidence that Jesus chooses the day before He dies to share the Passover meal with his disciples. No. This is no coincidence. He's choosing this meal. He is serving this way. He is speaking this way. For a very specific purpose. And it is to showcase the glory of the love and the grace of God. For you to receive and to believe. The Passover what is it about, y'all? Exodus chapter 12 lays it out plainly. The Passover was to celebrate God's deliverance of His people from the bondage of sin and captivity. It was to celebrate the fact that when you're in bondage, you're in bondage, held captive by an oppressor, that oppressor called sin. That God sees and hears and knows what you go through. And not only does He know it, but He gives Himself in His grace to do everything in His own power to deliver you, to make a way out of that bondage, to rescue you by His own grace, by His own power, to rescue you from the bondage that you're in, to free you to serve the true and living God. That's what Passover is about. And do you know, we learn from the book of Exodus that the only way that Passover was possible, the only way for anyone to escape the judgment of God and the hand of the oppressors was for a lamb to be slain. A perfect lamb without blemish, without spot, taken in its youth, in its prime, taken from among the flock, one that was perfect, who had committed no sin, 
had to die. The shedding of blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. For forgiveness, for deliverance from captivity. A Passover lamb, every family had to take a lamb. Without spot, without blemish. From its prime of life. And kill that innocent lamb. Take its blood, put it over the door of their house. Then, consume that lamb. Find energy and strength and sustenance from that lamb. Getting ready their sandals, getting ready their bags, being readied for the escape, for the exodus, for the deliverance. That is how God chose to free his people. During the exodus, that time of Passover. And there's no question that God desires you to see His intent all along when Jesus comes onto the scene and John heralds Him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's no question that on this very night of the Passover that Jesus is speaking to His disciples. He's sharing a Passover meal with them. A meal that is to commemorate God's grace and deliverance from the oppression of sin. A meal that's to symbolize the great power and strength through which He divided that sea and delivered His people into freedom and glorious promised land forever. There's no question that Jesus is sitting with His disciples this night for a reason. As those thousands and thousands of Passover lambs were being slain on the outside of that upper room, Jesus knows tomorrow that He, God's chosen Passover lamb, the eternal lamb of God, the eternal son of God, the one who is truly without blemish, without spot, the one who would lay down His life in its prime, the one who had done nothing to deserve condemnation, but would lay down His life so that you might be set free. There's no question that Jesus is pointing their attention this night. And he's pointing your attention this night. To the amazing love that God has for you. He did not have to spare his own son. But he did. He did not have to give his own son. But he did. He who had everything gave up everything to come, so that you who deserve nothing could have everything. Amen? And when he stoops to serve and to wash, when he says, you take and receive, this is my body, this is my blood, let me tell you, if you're not in receiving mode, Jesus himself says you will have nothing to do with him. Because just as that blood was necessary over the doorposts of those homes, for those people to be spared the judgment of God and be delivered into freedom, so is the blood of Jesus, the eternal Lamb of God, necessary to cleanse you, to forgive you, and to set you free now and forever. Amen?
You have to receive. This is the, the purpose of Jesus. This is why Paul says in Corinthians, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This is why Jesus says in Mark 13, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom, as a ransom for many. This is why he says, greater, man have, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. This is why 2 Corinthians 5 says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. So that in him we might have, we might attain to the righteousness of God. Listen here. If Jesus hadn't come, you and I would have nothing to celebrate today. If God hadn't seen those people in Egypt in distress and chosen to move by his power and grace... To provide a lamb, a covering. If he had not done that, they would have died in oppression. They would never have left Egypt and been freed. And if Jesus had not come to lay down his life for you and me, we would have nothing. But because he did come, because he does stoop to serve your dirty feet. Because he does say, this is my body and I'm laying it down for you. Because he does choose to spill his own lifeblood. He lays a table of abundant grace and provision for you to come and receive. And there is nothing that you can do except to humble yourself. Admit that you Need His grace and come and receive. The disciples that night had to be served. They had to eat of His body and they had to drink of His blood. Because there is salvation and no other name under heaven. Jesus, the great Passover lamb, is about to be sacrificed. He spread his table of grace. And the question is for you. Will you come and receive what Jesus so freely gives to you? And I don't want to just mean once, although it does need to happen once. I mean every day. Are you willing to live in total dependence, in total surrender, in total Receiving mode upon His grace and His provision for you. I hope you see tonight what John saw in that room. This is not... I say this to you as my friends. I am not saying this to be preachy. I am not saying this because this is what pastors say. I am saying this because this is real. This is real to me, and I want it to be real to you. God loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. 
on your darkest of days, when you are at your worst of worst, when you are held captive and oppressed by sin, Christ gave himself for you. When we celebrate communion, we're not celebrating what we do for God. We're celebrating what he's done for us. I need you to get this in your head and get this in your heart. God loves you. This is not casual. This is real. It's overflowing. He is for you. Romans 5 verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. He loves you. Will you today let him serve you through his body and through his blood? Isaiah chapter 53 says that it is by his wounds that we are healed. He was crushed for our iniquities. The sin of us was upon his shoulders. God poured it all out on him. And it is by his wounds that you are healed. Will you come today to receive afresh, and maybe for some of you for the first time, the amazing and wonderful, overflowing love and grace and provision of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. There is no longer any sacrifice needed for sin apart from the sacrifice that he has made. He said on the cross, it is finished. He poured himself out for you. Because he loves you. I'm going to say this again. He loves you. Wherever you are today, whatever situation you're going through, he loves you. There is nothing more that he can do to show you his love. He's spread the table. Will you come and eat? Will you come and drink? Will you come to receive life that is through him? Amen. God, we thank you for this day that we've had to celebrate, to contemplate, to remember the great love that you have for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, personally, I just, um, it overwhelms me, God, when I think back to the time that I was in bondage and captivity of sin. Lord, that in that season, Lord, that you chose to love me while I was yet a rebel before you. God, and in your grace, you chose to provide Christ and to seek me, to invite me to come and receive through the blood of Jesus, who didn't deserve it. Lord, I deserved it, but Jesus died willingly for me that I might be healed. Thank you for the freedom and grace, God, that I now experience because of you. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room that no matter what we are facing right now in life, 
the hurts, the frustrations, the challenges, Lord, the good and the bad. Lord, that we would be confident in this, that you love us and that you gave yourself for us. You say in your word, Lord, that if you did not spare your own son, then, Lord, we can know that you will not spare any good thing for those of us who we love. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Thank you, God, for the victory that is ours in you. Thank you for what you have done to provide everything for us. Help us, Lord, as individuals and as a church, continue to live by faith. Continue to remember all that you have done until you come again. We thank you, Jesus, that that cup that you said you would not drink until the new kingdom, Lord, we thank you that the cup has been prepared and is waiting for you. And we look forward, God, with eager anticipation to the day that we can drink with you in the new kingdom and celebrate all that you have done. We celebrate you this week, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.